0: Listeners and Welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today. Today marks the beginning of our World Cup podcast series here at TFA. Get this, we'll be bringing you a podcast every single day during the tournament, previewing each game, each group, the best players, the best teams, the worst teams, reviewing each game, giving our analysis, predictions, stories, as well as giving you the latest odds during the greatest festival sport has to offer. By the end of the coveted competition, you'll undoubtedly be sick and tired of hearing my voice, but this podcast will bring you content throughout the tournament that you will not find anywhere else. I'm delighted to be joined today by the best analysts, statisticians, writers, and betting experts the Total Football Analysis has to offer you. Before we begin to preview Group A of the World Cup and look at three key fixtures from the first round of games, there will be several references to betting throughout the podcast, so please, please remember to gamble responsibly. So without further ado, let's go speak to our three guests. I am joined by TFA Analyst Brian Marquez, Ronnie Dog Media's Head of Betting and Affiliates Lucas Mondelo, and Velez Club de Football's Chief Scout Lee Scott. Welcome to the podcast, guys, and thank you for joining us. Lucas, are you looking forward to the World Cup getting underway this weekend as Qatar take on Ecuador in the Bayt Stadium in Alcar?
1: Well, it's going to be the match that everyone is expecting, and especially after the rumors. But the betting markets are now more like... A- focusing on the sports side and considering Ecuador the favorites. So that's what I expect to see on the pitch.
0: Yeah. So obviously, were, I mean, Giovanni Infantino gave his press conference this morning in a manner that David Brent and Alan Partridge couldn't concoct. Um, in my opinion, it was bonkers, some of the, the, the stuff he was coming out with. But then you see reports that emerged yesterday. Um, again, take it with a pinch of salt. They are only reports about the Qatari government and paying off several ecuadorian players to throw the game again as i said take what a pinch of salt has that affected qatar's or ecuador's chances lucas in terms of the betting markets
1: not really in fact the market stood still which is kind of interesting because these days when something misquivos turns to happen what what happens is the market used to to show you the progress in these situations because even if it's confined to the sports aspect and not exactly a fraud aiming betting profits what you get is usually someone inside that knows about the story tries to get some money and what happens is when this money is downloaded into the betting markets the, the odds will change heavily And we didn't see anything happen. The market's the same, which means, in my opinion, that... I don't believe it.
0: Okay. Lee, for me, I've watched little of Qatar, but from what I've watched, I mean, Republic of Ireland, have played them twice. The first game was one all. I think it was two years ago, a year and a half ago. The second game, we hammered them 4-0 in Ireland. I mean, uh, for me, I'm not very confident that qatar will even pick up a point in this group do you think that's a fair assessment or do you disagree do you think felix has a side of a good chance of beating ecuador this, this this weekend in the opener
2: i think in all honesty qatar are the great unknown in terms of this world cup even teams like saudi arabia and um, we've seen before in the world stage we kind of we know what to expect in terms of their style of play the kind of players and Qatar are very very difficult to assess because they've they've been essentially playing friendlies for so long now and you said yourself they played Ireland twice they've played in a copa america they've played in the asian cup obviously and they are a good team from a technical standpoint you, you talk about club football in qatar and obviously it's bankrolled massively by by the royal family and by by oil companies out there and there's a lot of money flowing about qatar but They've also put a lot of focus on their development. Previously, when the Aspire Academy was set up in Qatar, a lot of it was based around the import then of talent from specifically Africa. A lot of African talent from Ghana, Nigeria, Senegal flowed into Qatar that way. And the plan was for them to keep players in Qatar for long enough that they could naturalise them and then Mm -hmm. essentially have a, a whole team of expats, if you like. But that seems to have gone by the, the wayside and now there there is a focus on young talent within Qatari football. Um, I do think they're going to find it difficult, but I think they've been put in a group where they have got opportunities to gain points. If you look at the group that they're in with Senegal, who've obviously had a, a huge huge loss with the loss of Sadio Mane, Netherlands are very strong, but Ecuador, Ecuador are my tip for the dark courses of the tournament and it's going to be interesting to see them playing against all three. I wouldn't write them off completely because they're the host host side, mm. but I do think they will struggle to qualify from the group.
0: Ryan, could you tell us a bit more about Ecuador and how they play tactically, what you expect from this game from a tactical perspective. And some of our key players, obviously we have moises Caicedo Was is, is the the big star everyone will be looking at, I think, recently in the reports. Again, it it was from a tabloid paper, so take it with a pinch of salt. They said that his price has gone up to 85 million is what brighton will be looking for compared to the five million that independiente del Valle wanted for him in
3: january 2021 yeah i think i, I agree with the uh, lee ecuador are dark horses in this world cup not only uh, because of the players they have they've been developing in recent years but the the tactical aspect and how they play and that high pressing moments very rigid mid blog and a direct football looking for Pervis Estupinian uh, on the wing and obviously Moises Caicedo in his work rate through the middle. I think uh, key players, we can talk about uh, Piero Hincapié in the uh, defence also, Estupinian and maybe one that Europe hasn't been talking about a lot, but is Angelo Preciado on the right. I have seen him... Here at South America, he massively. I really think Ecuador is going to be a very, very good side. Uh, I think Carlos Greso missed out uh, because of an injury in the last game of the Bundesliga with Augsburg, but they still have really good players, really talented and young players. Gonzalo Plata on the right wing playing as an inverted winger, more like a 10, you know, free of movement. His role is very key for Ecuador and they could make some trouble against uh, Netherlands And because of their direct attacking football. You know, Netherlands is a more possession based team that like the ball, but if they lose and People like Caicedo is winning the ball back and throwing long balls that we see. He 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 can do that to Gonzalo Plata, Romario, around the wings that are very fast player and Valencia as well. So, yeah, I, I quite like Ecuador, like we, uh, Lee, have said. Qatar, you know, it's the unknown team, like, like obviously, on how the world works, you know, all this uh, news and about quotes by Infantino and how they host the World Cup. So the, the people aren't focusing on their tactics. So, yes, it's the unknown nation, I think. Uh, they have qualified for this World Cup for the first time and it's, it's only for hosting. So, I don't think they could pick a point. They have some tough opponents up front Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands. You know, there they are three top sides besides. Aside Senegal, the uh, money isn't with the squad. I think it's, it's a massive squad w- without him. Lucas,
0: again, most people are very skeptical about Qatar's ability to pick up a point or even a win. What do the better markets say in that respect? Are they as skeptical? Well...
1: I believe that the market is considering the home factor in the prices. If you had the same starter game, for example, Qatar Ecuador, in the neutral field, you would get very different odds. Right now, you have a situation in which I would guess thirty to forty percent of um, you know better prices in terms of uh, what. You- It would naturally get in in a purely sports situation. Qatar is the only team with the home factor. So, yes, there is some difficulty to find out, let's say, how Qatar will perform in practice. This is always considered by the markets. But right now, I would say that the sports side is considered the most important thing as Ecuador is is the favorite in in the markets at this very moment but uh, you have the situation of some some historic context for example south africa in 2010 they certainly overperformed in comparison with their own strengths in in, in let, let's say in a situation of south africa so it, it's got a time will tell let's let's put it this way
0: well, the other teams in the group are the Netherlands and, of course, Senegal. The Netherlands are managed at the minute by Louis van Gaal in his final swan song in football. But a way to go out, would be for him to win the World Cup for the first time in the Netherlands, you know, and then Beowau. Well, we would imagine for good, although he also said the same in 2016 when he left Manchester United. I was surprised, Lucas, when I looked at the betting markets, how low down the Netherlands were in terms of being favourites for the World Cup. I think they were maybe, they were top 10, but I think they were ninth. From watching them,
1: top seven,
0: top seven. But they even are... at that, I was I, I was still surprised because there's so many teams in Europe that are underperforming at the minute. I mean, I don't think England have won a game in six matches. Uh Germany's, I think, have they've only won one in seven. I mean, it's it's not it's not looking great for a European sides, whereas the Netherlands are smashing it at the minute. So why, when I watch them, do the betting markets obviously contradict what I believe? Of course, it's just my opinion. Of course, I, I, I'm. I want to get your knowledge as to why the Netherlands aren't as as high up as I would have imagined they are.
1: When you get markets like the outrights, you have a situation of higher odds comparing with match odds for final score results. So naturally, more factors have to be considered. But you have above Netherlands in terms of chances, Brazil, Argentina, France, England, Spain, and Germany right now on average. And these are the teams that the market somehow sees as more likely than Netherlands to win. But you also have Portugal, Belgium and Denmark below um, Netherlands and even Croatia, other teams like uh, Uruguay. So they are, in my opinion, around what you would expect for a team. That is somewhat young, comparing with the last presences that they had in the World Cup. It's a contrast, as you have a very experienced manager, as they have. But they had a a past of skipping World Cup. So this is also considered, it's always a pressure for the new guys to to perform. Well,
0: yeah, they did miss the 2018 World Cup. And obviously they they finished, I think it was toward in 2014, but then they missed 2018. So, yeah.
1: Precisely. So, for example, in my opinion, to see Belgian with odds of around 18 right now in the decimal system and Netherlands with odds in the house of 13, it doesn't really make much sense because even though Belgium has not been performing that well they have more experience in the recent times they were third in the last world cup so these are the things that used to count in in the markets for you know precification so I'm, i'm a little surprised with the current prices in this sense with the rivals having you know lower chances in the eyes of the market i would say that netherlands has comfortable group considering their strengths so this also counts because to to reach the final is an important part of the persification system of the markets so it's not just about who's better than who it's the markets also consider the path that the teams will have you know up you know until the final
0: lee do you think the netherlands can go all the way and i know you're also a big fan of frankie de Jong. So tell us a bit about his role within Louis van Gaal's system and how he can be really, really important for the Netherlands, potentially going all the way. I think that, if I'm being honest, I don't think Netherlands
2: are going to go all the way. I think they they have a very good core again coming through, and I'm really excited to see Javi Siemens, especially, called up to the squad. I think that Arsenal fans obviously saw what he's capable of in a European tie against PSV Eindhoven, when Javi Simmons came on and ran the game for such a young player to do that was really noteworthy. But I think the big problem that the Netherlands have, and it's something they have quite often, is a lack of genuine firepower within the squad. Uh, they're looking at Memphis Depay the Barcelona forward again to be the talisman, and Depay is a difficult one because he, he's one of a very peculiar set of players who always performs much better the international side and he does for the club side it's been a story of his career it's how he's got moves to manchester united to, to barcelona so far because when the matches matter for the netherlands he turns up and does something but whether he can be consistent within that across the world cup as netherlands would need him to i think is difficult and um, frankie de jong is just a lovely player he's, he's probably my favorite player to watch in world football when he gets on the pitch, and obviously there's been a lot of press about him in Barcelona and Manchester United in the previous transfer window. I think his situation at Barcelona has been made more difficult than it needs to be. Um, Barcelona fans are, are, again, a very fickle bunch, and they seem to be split 50-50 in terms of those who want him to be involved in the club setup and those that think that he should be left out of the squad for refusing to take a pay cap. But under Louis Van Gaal, we can expect to see de Jong at his box to box best. You'll see him drop back to the centre backs to take possession, but he's not just a ball progressor and he'll pass the ball and break lines. He'll carry it. He'll drop a shoulder against two opponents outside his own area and go past them because that's just the kind of player he is. He's a unique player within the Dutch setup for me because he didn't come through one of the big academies. Ajax signed him. I think from Willem Twy, I think I'm correct in saying that. They, they took him young, but they took him for their B team originally, then saw him in pre-season training and put him straight into the first team. And he didn't look back. I think his ability to knit the attack, the midfield, the defence together will be key throughout for Netherlands. And I, think, I do think they'll win the group fairly comfortably and I could see them getting to the quarterfinal stage. But beyond that, I just don't think they have the strength to go further.
0: You said about the lack of firepower. And you also mentioned Xavi Simmons and coming on from obviously he's playing incredibly well with PSV. What about his, his fellow PSV man, Cody Gakpo up front, who was in double figures already for goals and he's registering so many assists on the River Vanistal Riders reports linking him with Manchester United, Liverpool. I mean, ultimately when a player does well in Europe, they just will by nature be linked to the top clubs. Will he play a massive role for Louis van side?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think we can expect him to start from the very start. And for those that haven't seen Cody Gakpo play, his data and his output in terms of goals and assists is, is immense. But he's such a physical specimen when you see him play. He's, for a wide attacker, he's so tall, powerful, broad, difficult to stop when he's moving with the ball, but also when he's moving off the ball because he makes these runs from outside to in when the ball's on the opposite side and he attacks the back post in, in the centre of the area really really well. I think the key will be for Van Hal to find a way to unlock him properly for the Netherlands which I think can be difficult at times and mm-hmm. um, Van Hal's obviously a, a coach who we've known for decades now as being such a system orientated coach and you, you see his time at Manchester United and, the amount of time the ball was passed backwards and across and forward again—a in U shape—it just drove you to to tears watching them at times.
0: I love Louis Van Gaal, but watching Chris Smalling pass back <laughs> to the Haya fifty times a game made me genuinely cry.
2: Yeah, and and that's that's a difficulty because he can be very strict with the players and what he expects, and we know that if they don't do what they're told to, they won't play. And that, that's simply Van Hal has that power with the, the Netherlands Federation. He, he will turn around and say, Your star player won't play if they, don't, if they don't toe the line. But if he does unlock the potential of Gakpo with De young with Javi Simmons, if he plays, they'll be interesting and exciting to watch.
0: I just don't think they're going to get past the stronger teams when they come up against them. Yeah. Brian, moving on to the final team of the group, Senegal. They've obviously lost Sadio Mane, which was a massive blow. Value CC side, genuinely a huge, huge blow. He's by far, I would argue, their greatest ever player. Of course, we know how well he did with Liverpool and now he's at Bayern Munich. And there's been criticism of of him at Bayern Munich, but I still think he's he's playing relatively well. Who can replace him and who are their other star players that we can expect to have a huge tournament for Senegal if they are to progress from? Again, I know know Lee and and Lucas you spoke about, and I'm sorry. Brian, you spoke about how Ecuador could be dark horses in the group. I do think if, you know, I still think Senegal could potentially progress if they manage to mask the obvious loss of Sadio Mane.
3: Yes, I think uh, Senegal obviously can uh, qualify for the next uh, phase of the World Cup. They have a massive squad. They are the, the, the African champions. I really... Didn't like the tactics and how they uh, look to play in the in the AFCON. So, obviously, Sadio Mane has lost his big one. He's, uh, he has been very good for Bayern Munich in that uh, central position. Uh, with a very free role, looking to act, be active in wide zones and leave the central areas for his teammates. But I think uh, Senegal still has uh, really good names like Ismail Azar, you know. Um, Nicolas Yakson I think, could be a very good uh, name to, to replace Mane in. Bamba Dieng from Marcel has been... Playing good at the start of this season, but I think uh, the strength of Senegal in this World Cup is gonna have to be it has to be in the, the midfield. You know Pape Gay, uh who mm-hmm. gay who is still in the in, in the national team as Lee said. They are a peculiar group of players that only get hips so uh, perform really well in the national team. Uh, Idrisa Idrissa was a big player in the Premier League. I think in PSG, uh, when he was at the, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, he didn't look to perform that well. So he came back to the Premier League and he's not performing that well. But I think in the national team, he could do it very well. Uh, Sheku Kouyate and you know, their, their defense, Kalidou Koulibaly, Edouard Mendy on the goal. Yeah, I, I think Ismail Azar has to be the the Biggest name to replace Mane and to be the main man on attack. So, yeah, I think Senegal's strength in this World Cup has to be in the midfield. Uh, they have a really good passing ability, a really good defensive ability and a defensive work rate. So, yeah, I think we we are going to see a direct team looking to wait uh, in a mid-block, low-block, maybe in a high-pressing you know, with that uh, blocks exchanges. But uh, yeah, I think Ismail Hazard pays uh, physical attributes to contain markers and shield the balls. It's very, very good. And they could be also a dark horse in this group, you know, Ecuador are playing really well under Gustavo Alfaro, but Senegal have the experience and have the young players and have talented players who are playing in the Premier League, the French League, you know, and Ecuador is really starting to develop this, those players and send him over to, to Europe. And it could be that, it could be the biggest battle of this group. Senegal and in Ecuador, you know, experimented and young players against a young team who also have their experimented players like Ener Valencia, Angel Mena, Michael Estrada. But it is still uh, a young team and a new team, you know. All, I mean, 50% more than the 50% of the squad is there. are new players uh, if we compare the, the last workout they were in. So I think this is going to be a really, really good and interesting battle. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2018, obviously, Senegal
0: didn't qualify out of group phase, although I still believe they played pretty well. I was surprised when they didn't. So hopefully they can better their, their tournament four years ago in Russia. Before the podcast, we spoke about three games we'd hand-picked that are going to be key, key matches and probably the most exciting matches of the fourth round of fixtures. We'll start with USA and Wales. Um, Wales have the low, had the lowest possession from all the UEFA-qualified teams that are heading to the World Cup. USA, on the other hand, they obviously Wales like to hit teams on the break. They soak up pressure and hit you on the break and in transition with some Lightning players, like you from far as Brennan Johnson, I mean, five-time Champions League winner Gareth Bale, of course, as well. You have Aaron Ramsey behind them, playing for Nice now too. USA, on the other hand, are I think it's fair to say a possession a possession-oriented side, but they they struggle against teams that play with a low block, and especially against teams that play with a back five. And they also struggle to defend transitions because I recently watched a game uh, from a couple of months ago against Canada, and we'll speak about Canada in a bit. Spoiler there, of course, but Canada were setting up in a four-four-two 2 diamond. And they were really aggressive, as as John Hilton's side are. They're extremely aggressive, constantly looking to hit you on the break, hitting runners in behind, of course, with and David. And USA struggled a lot. They really, really did struggle. So I'm worried about them heading into this game. Can they, and I'll come to you, Lee, how do you see them being able to break down that, that rigid low block that Wales will almost definitely set up on the rub page and then deal with the lightning quick transitions of players like a bail or your Bren, your Brennan Johnson and obviously they have the the gargantuan centre forward and key for more up front for set pieces and crosses.
2: I think we'd need to start by by realizing that you have just called Wales USA one of the most exciting games in the first group. Tactically of. I should have a <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> okay. I think, yeah, tactically it's going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be exciting for many (laughs) people watching. And it's funny, you and I were speaking Adam before, before we started recording, before the other guys came on. And this game, for me, is going to be a difficult one to watch. Um, Not to denigrate either side, I think that Wales and USA both fully deserve their place at the World Cup. This is what makes the World Cup. You get these teams who have different tactical styles that come through. They're qualifying groups, and and there's no doubt that they do. Wales are passive for the most part until they get an opportunity to hit on the break. I think I I saw some data recently that said they were one of the teams that had the least amount of passes and build-up in the whole of Europe through qualification. Their their intent is clear. They want to get the ball and hit it to where they're dangerous. I, I do think Kiefer Moore will start and six-foot-five centre-halves are never easy to play with, play for, play against. Sorry, He will give every centre-half he plays against at the World Cup a tour of time. He'll elbow them, he'll kick them in the back of the knee, he'll pinch them, he'll push them, knock them off balance. And it's going to be interesting to see how referees at the World Cup react to that kind of throwback. I mean, you could say that Romelu Lukaku at Belgium does similar in that he's so physical in his approach against defenders. But he does it in a way where he's looking to get turned. Kiefer Moore is just trying to be a bit of a ball bag, if you like. He just wants to be productive. <laughs> um, but having that presence and having the likes of Gareth Bale and Dan James, who I think will start on the other side, having them be able to play off a figure like Kiefer Moore makes Wales very, very interesting. Um, they will struggle. They're double in midfield, Aaron Ramsey, isn't the player that he was obviously injuries have well and truly taken their toll but he still has a tournament left in him I do think that they will struggle against three-man midfield to be able to overrun the Wales midfield don't expect to see Gareth Bale trap back he he won't he absolutely won't trap back he'll stay forward so for a team like the USA who want to try and break a deep block from Wales down it's going to be really interesting because USA have no recognized goal scorer that's their biggest weakness they come into this game and, and christian pulisic will pay from the left hand side he's very much their talisman but he plays more as a 10 in his positioning so think about the way that mason mount tends to play for chelsea where if he starts wide he plays far more centrally he kind of links the midfield and attack in that way their absolute secret weapon is their left back anthony robinson um Listeners might remember that a couple of years ago, he was on the brink of a move from Championship Fulham to AC Milan. The only thing that stopped that move was a heart complaint that was picked up in the medical. And obviously in Italian football, their medicals, if there are any heart anomalies, it completely stops the deal. We've seen with Christian Eriksen, he wasn't allowed to play in Italy again after what happened at the last Euros, so it'll be interesting, obviously Anthony Robinson's then gone on to Premier League and shown that he's very capable of playing a top five league, expect to see Pulisic coming inside and dragging players inside and trying to drag the Welsh right back inside with them to open up that space for Robinson, the USA won't go over the defensive line they'll try and go around, they'll try and use Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson on the opposite sides as full to get up and around, but that comes with its own inherent risk because if you commit your fullbacks too early and too often against this wills team they'll simply get the ball and hit those channels and transition and suddenly you'll have to pace of dan james and gareth bale running free in space and i think that is what makes this match so tactically interesting it's the fact that there are key strengths for each team actually attack the opposite key strength if you see what i mean yeah. So the USA are so intent on getting the full-backs high, which they'll have to, because Wales aren't coming out. The, the Welsh defensive line's not coming forward. They, they're going to sit in a low block. They're going to defend. They're going to head things away. They're going to be difficult to play against. And I think the the US central midfield three, if you like, they will have an advantage in terms of numbers, three versus two against Wales. But they're not dynamic in terms of looking to break forward and attack the box. Weston McKenney has that in his game. But he seems to be more content for the U.S. to sit deeper. He'll sit back and he'll try and play, be that player who plays the passes. He sees himself as a playmaker. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the nine making the runs to break the last line, and if your two tens, your two wingers are coming inside into the ten position, it all gets very congested very quickly. Yeah,
0: Because there's no so. one stretching stretching yeah. that you know whales vertically and creating space between the lines. Yeah, I fully
2: understand. Yeah. If you if you can't yeah. do it all against Wales, they're gonna sit deep. I think it's gonna be a very, very tight, very close game.
0: Mm-hmm. Tyler Adams recently spoke about it in a press conference at across the League United midfielder. And he, well, I mean, he can play anywhere really can't he? Like, Wing back centre half, midfield, he's a really, really versatile player. But his press conference was amazing and he spoke very um in detail about well, the USA's game plan, which I'm not sure Greg Barhelter would be overly <laughs> delighted with, but he said that, especially dealing with transitions, they have a plan to deal with that by using what they call rest attack, as most people would call rest defense, obviously, in in, in, this, kind of, in this kind of world, which obviously means, of course, when, when they have the ball, they'll probably position the centre-house very close to either Magentan James or uh, Gareth Bale on, on the flanks and then Kiefer Moore, of course, too. My issue with that would be if they hold, if they stay really wide, I, I would imagine USA would probably use the center half to do that, and then you can stretch that back line, and there'd be way too much of a distance. And then, of course, OK, you can't press in the midfield or in the, with, with the forwards in the midfield. If they break that, and then USA's back line is really stretched, you, you can you can play balls in behind easily. So, again, as I said, it definitely won't be an entertaining game. I, I, I should put <laughs> that disclaimer again, tactically 100%. Lucas, what do the odds tell us then on this game between USA and Wales?
1: We have the US is slightly favorite, but um, I believe some people may be surprised as they don't have a name like as famous as Bale. But we all know that his best days are behind him. Same thing with Renzi. So uh, the odds are like just slightly better for Wales in the sense that they're higher to the batters. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a key game to this group because we can all expect England to beat Iran. So if any of the teams can collect a point in this game it's going to be vital to see their chances to progress in this in this group
0: and i think obviously at the minute i would imagine england are the favorites to progress as the, the top team there's there's a the second spot available there for for uh usa and wales i think iran and we'll get on to them tomorrow um i previewed them for the tfa magazine for the world cup <sighs> were far from inspiring um i was really dejected I felt watching it and I, I felt my love for football drain away but we'll get on to them tomorrow we'll move on now to the game between Belgium and Canada, Canada are at their first World Cup since Mexico in 1986 Belgium, I feel like we say this every single tournament are at the end of their golden generation, I feel almost silly saying that again but you do have players like Captain Eden Hazard who has six goals in four seasons with Real Madrid I, I, won't, I won't comment on that you have players like Kevin De Bruyne, of course, and among some other really, really um, experienced players that have been with Belgium for several years under Roberto Martinez and then obviously in the 2014-2016 Euros. Brian, can you tell us about this game and what you'll be looking for tactically between the two sides? And also, obviously, I would imagine, Lucas, we'll get on to you and your odds. I would imagine from my perspective, Belgium are the favourites, but Canada are very
3: impressive when you watch them. Do Canada have a chance of winning this game, Brian? I think this is a interesting game you know like canada have been playing very good they shot all uh, america with their qualifiers to the world cup with players like obviously alfonso davies and Jonathan david you know massive run of uh, in terms of scoring goals also they are cheap, they're keep develop they keep the what you say oh, sorry Jonathan david has nine goals nine goals a season and i think only neymar and mbappe have buried them in League one which is phenomenal so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's that is absolutely massive to, for a Canadian player. You know, you didn't you aren't you aren't expecting a Canadian player to to be sco- to score that amount of goals and to be a regular starter for their team. But they're developing young players. You know, that Bukana in the and in Belgium is playing really well at, at Bruges, and Eustachio at Porto. I think is a Marvellous player in terms of uh, how he managed the possession and how he dictates uh, the play. So I, it's going to be a difficult uh, game for Belgium, I think. Canada is going to be uh, trying all they can to qualify and to do a good workout because they know they have the quality and they have the the, the tactical uh, understanding in, in all their players. You know, they're a good group and they have to face in the first match week, you know, uh, Belgium. They have Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hassel looking to restart his career (laughs) in this tournament. Um, Axel Witzel, Vanekin, Tillemans in the midfield. They have some massive players. You know, it's always the same with Belgium. We are saying that this generation is absolutely great. This is the golden generation, but they didn't like finished, the, they they haven't reached the end product of their national team, so in the last World Cup, they, they won Brazil, and people were mad, uh, were crazy about this performance, and I think we're expecting the same thing, obviously, with De Bruyne at the level he is, year by year, he keeps growing, and it's absolutely crazy to think that Kevin De Bruyne keeps growing, because he's one of the, the best players of, in the world, so yeah, I think Canada looked to have the ball as well, maybe a little bit faster than Belgium, but Belgium as well like to be fast, like to his tens, uh, De Bruyne and Hazard to to turn. Uh, I saw them uh, in against Netherlands in the Nations League. Mm, they were very good, especially in the second half. Where they were Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry took the team, I think. Robert yeah, America, yeah, America's yeah. He's a, a striker manager, I think. Yeah, but he was very uh, um, striker coach. Yeah, very angry so, though. everything's animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he coached that game. He was very angry. But in the second half, especially Hassar and De Bruyne uh, showed that chemistry they have to play in the the half spaces and to make triangles and and all that in the pitch. So Canada obviously have to. Uh, Different very well. I think they're going to defend the mid block, looking to uh, active uh, Alfonso Davis to a space in transitions his bullet train, so that is going to be the key. Also, Jonathan David with his movements of the ball movements and with the ball movements, you know, he he carries the ball, he has a good ball control, mm-hmm. and he can um, drag markers to make his teammates appear. So, yeah, I think it's. I don't know if you agree with me, but it's going to be an interest, tactically interesting game because you know it's Canada with practically <laughs> making another debut because they are totally new in in, in in the tournament and with a, a new generation. And obviously, in at the other hand, Belgium that we are talking about, they have the golden generation. They haven't quite reached the end product of. We might have seen the end product, and they—they they aren't uh, looking to 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 get the trophy in the tournaments we have seen, you know.
0: Lee, speaking about Canada, pre- pretend you're John Harden for a minute, minus the intense Geordie accent. You know, but you can keep your your Scottish accent, but you're on the sidelines and you're getting ready for our. You're in training at least, and you're getting ready to to play Belgium. They've used several formations under John Herbin in the last year or two. They've used, as I spoke about earlier, against the USA a four-four-two diamond. They've used a three-four-three. They've used even a flat four-four-two out of possession, now in possession. That obviously is is far more fluid. What kind of what formation are you going with in this game? What kind of way are you looking to hurt Belgium? And also, is 39 year old Atiba Hutchinson in your double pivot? <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, no. I think Atifa Hutchinson's been a right for as long as I have been thinking about football. One, one of those players who seems ageless and limitless. Um I think Canada are actually really, really interesting in terms of being almost the perfect Belgium are almost their perfect opponent for the first game. Um Bryant just spoke about how dangerous they are with the like Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies and what might catch people out a little bit is that Alfonso Davies won't play left back or left wing back. Um he plays in a far more advanced role for Canada, which is where he started when, when Bayern Munich signed him, he was a winner. And he was a devastating winner for his age group. And they signed him and went, nope, you're a left back. And obviously the rest is history. He's kind of gone on and done well. Um, we, you, you and Brian have both talked about the fact that, that Belgium seemed to have been around forever Um, in terms of having they been one of the the teams who've been a golden generation, similar to Croatia. They just seem to have been hanging about for a long, long time. And one of the problems Belgium has in this World Cup is that their back line, they'll play a three at the back. Roberto Martinez in Belgium have always played with three at the back. And Vertongen and Alder Alder still play for Belgium.
0: That they're still so but uh, one of the oldest teams in the World Cup, I think, But Bar- I think Iran have the oldest squad, and again, we'll get onto them tomorrow. Which is,
2: yeah, and Croatia boring. are close as well, I think. Yeah, those two on the defensive line, uh, great defenders, great experience, done a lot with their careers and have really maximized their ability. But if you put them in a foot race against Jonathan David and against Alfonso Davies, there's only going to be one outcome. And that's why I think that Canada will go with a five at the back against Belgium to start with. They'll look to keep it tight to stop Eden Hazard, who does, he's another one, he's a Memphis Depay, or, you know, one of these players who does better at international level, now than he does club yeah. level. He's still a threat when he picks the ball up between the lines in the half spaces. He'll get the ball, get turned, same as Kevin De Bruyne, one of the very best players in world football. If they get the ball in dangerous areas, it's dangerous for Canada and they will be able to find passes that access the penalty area. The benefit Canada have is that I believe that Romelu Lukaku is not guaranteed to start. Um, they're still saying he's suffering from the injuries he's had into Milan over the past couple of months, I think. So a forward line with Michi Bashwai instead of Romelu Lukaku suddenly looks a lot better to Canada going into this game. I think Canada will play the five at the back. They'll look to hit quickly through... As Brian said, Steven Estacchio at Porto is a fantastic player in a double pivot in midfield. He's got it all. He can defend, he can be physical, but he can also get the ball and be very direct with his passing, long, direct diagonal passes or forward passes. And I think he will get the ball in transition for Canada, and he will look to isolate those slow Belgian defenders with Jonathan David. Who, For people who haven't seen Jonathan David, similar kind of build not not so much a made in a lab as Erling Haaland but he he's far too quick for how big he is mm-hmm. and I think that's what takes people by surprise when they first see him if they can release Alfonso Davies and Diagonal runs into those spaces then they'll be causing Belgium real problems
0: and on top of that I'd argue that Jonathan David is probably the best pressing centre forward in Europe right now I mean you look at his numbers I'm constantly I mean I'm sure that the followers are sick of me doing it but I'm constantly Putting out his high regains and his counter pressing recoveries <laughs> on Twitter constantly. I just, I'm every time I go back to him I'm amazed at how uh, at his stats in, in terms of out of possession. Because obviously we're talking about centre forward, you want to look at his goals, yeah, but great. But <laughs> I look at how well he presses, yeah, I, not even just this season on the Fonseca at Lille but we talking about last season too. He was he, he's truly, truly uh, a joy to watch as a centre forward, and I'm I'm really excited to see how he how he fares against Belgium's backline, which is quite an aging I think it's fair to say Lucas talk to us then about the odds for this game
1: well building are perceived as favorites naturally as a comparison there is much as favorite like comparing with Brazil against Serbia or Germany against Japan this is how the markets are seeing these games so yeah I think one of their greatest strengths is the fact that they have been, you know, the golden generation for a while. So yeah, it's ending, but they're experienced and perhaps they'll be able to not feel that much of a pressure in terms of performing and getting some decent result because they were third in the last World Cup. So to, to do better than that, you're going to reach the final, which is not easy. And, Canada, of course, it's a very new team in the tournament, but um, I agree. I guess Belgium has some important things that they have to be attentive to this game. Otherwise, they could lose points. And it's it's a tough group if you consider that you have at least three teams with some chances of making to the knockout phase. And even Morocco has famous names like Ashraf Hakimi and Ziak. So it's you can generally say that all four teams in this group have at least some chance to progress and so you can't lose points and it's 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 an interesting game i guess it's going to be one of the toughest ones to Mm -hmm. to belgian in this group
0: lucas i'll stay with you then for brazil because you and i spoke yesterday about brazil's chances going into the world cup you were less (laughs) optimistic i think it's fair to say than i was because i see i mean okay in terms of fullbacks, yeah, bringing a 900 year old, no, sorry, that's I, a 39 year old, I think he is, Danny Alves, to the World Cup is odd, I feel. he's. I looked at the stats for, I think he's with uh, a Mexican side now at the minute, Pumas, I think he's with. Uh, yeah. And they look, Personally, they look okay. I
1: have...
0: But when you look at that forward line, Vinicius Jr., Neymar, Gabriel Jesus, you've Anthony, they afforded to leave home. Firmino. So why why do you not feel that they can they are the favorites going into this World Cup? And what do the and what does the betting market say, of course?
1: Well, the betting markets really consider Brazil favorites in this game. And my problem with Brazil is perhaps the markets for the outrights. So Brazil are considered the most likely to win the World Cup by far, mm-hmm. and my problem with that is very simple. Brazil doesn't get exposed to the tension of truly hard games that matter very often. It's the same problem of Argentina. Brazilian and Argentina only face true games every four years in the World Cup. You don't have the euro you know cycle here. What happens in Copa America is cannot be compared for example, if you get back to the days of Ronaldinho. Some players even ask not to be called to Copa America because it's not perceived as a decent tournament here. It has improved a little. But for example, it's fair to say that the last true game for Brazil and Argentina was the Copa America final on July 2021. So if you compare the, you know, the true game in action, especially psychologically, that the European teams have faced in in this time between the last big game for these, these south americans you have uh, teams that are more like mentally fit and it's not something that i'm considering even the coach of brazil has made the same remarks over here saying that he wished he could do something like playing the wafer nations league which is has been ventilated but didn't end up happening so far so brazil and argentina are isolated and you know in the, the world of football you gotta be facing tough opponents otherwise things can be complicated and to be honest i have publicly said in their last work of that belgian against brazil was a good bet and it proved to be precisely because of these things i have some tactical concerns too i think that teams need to repeat their lineups to, to grow some team chemistry this has not happened in brazil there were, 122 names of players called in in the spell of the Brazilian coach in the last six years. So these things are complicated. And if you see the betting markets, of course, Brazil are favorites against Serbia. But uh, if you see the more advanced markets of handicaps, for example, you can bet in Serbia to only lose by one against Brazil and still earn 50% of profits. And you only lose the bet if they lose by two or more. And why is this a good bet, in my opinion? The Brazilian coach has a past of being very focused on counterattacks on tough games, At you know, in the club level. Mm -hmm. This was a mark of his, the region that he comes from in in Brazil is famous for this kind of tactics. So if Brazil is winning by one, I really don't see them, you know, pressing that much, especially as the first game is perhaps the worst for them, you know, the toughest one in, in the group stage.
0: But Chiche won the uh, Club World Cup in 2013 against Chelsea playing that way. Uh, tactically, it was excellent. I think Chelsea had a goal right at the end of the game, which was ruled out for offside, I believe. But they ended up winning the game and it was a, a shock result, but he, it was tactically perfect. But they did sit City for quite a lot of the match. Ryan, talk to us about Brazil's chances then in this match and what you're expecting from them. And I'll let Lee take Serbia. From... From my perspective, well, from, I suppose, the media's perspective too, Brazil have been heavily criticised in recent, recent years, Chiche especially, for, as Lucas alluded to, that, that style of football. I think in the last year or two, though, or, or three maybe, it's changed a bit. He is far more attacking, and you you look at the, the players he's brought on, okay, we're likely to see a midfield of Fred and Casemiro, but further up the pitch, you're going to have, an abundance of
3: talent. Well, yeah, Brazil. I, I quite like Brazil. I think Brazil, Argentina, they are my favorites for the World Cup. I have to ask Lucas if he thinks Venezuela is not a tough opponent <laughs> for Brazil or Ben. <laughs> but now, Seriously, I think Brazil is a very good side. Obviously, they are giants in, in, in the World Cup. Yes, I agree. They have changed their tactics a bit with Chite um, into a far more attacking side. Uh, and I think this comes with a. Rolled exchange of how Neymar plays on the pitch. Mm-hmm. He is feeling more like an inverted winger, even a midfielder and a ten. And I think I, I wrote, I read recently, uh, TJ saying that if you play the Neymar out on the wing in the outside of the pitch, you 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 are an idiot. <laughs> so that if you have Neymar on on your team, you have to play it as a ten or as an inverted player. And I agree totally with that. And Neymar is a marvelous player to uh, uh, drop deep to help in the build ups, the first passes of the build up, and, and then to uh, kill uh, the opponents with his appearances in the half spaces and between the lines. So, yeah, and, and the addition of Lucas Paqueta he has played really well with Brazil in his first uh, matches with them. In the Copa America, he was very, very good. Names like Richarlison at direct attacks, frenetic bronze, you know, he's massive in that. And then you have the likes of uh, Vinicius Jr., who's maybe the best player attacking the spaces with Kylian Mbappe in the world. Uh, And then Gabriel Jesus who's having a Brilliant season with Arsenal, not in terms of scoring goals because he always underperforms. He's underperforming is actually at the minute, but I think, he <laughs> yeah, he's underperforming. Goals. I think by four goals, not maybe really, yeah. it's, it, it's very bad, it's very bad numbers for him. But if you see him play the, the way he supports Arsenal in the build up and I agree with the Andy Robertson quotes lately. If you leave Roberto Firmino, you have to be one of the favorites uh, for the World Cup. You know, he's a brilliant player. Uh, it's a, maybe the same uh, style. He has the same game style as Gabriel Jesus, dropping out of his own, looking to receive the ball, turn and create space for his teammates at the back. But, wow. They're, they're very good. obviously, uh, people have been criticized, uh, Brazil, because of the fullbacks, you know, mm. uh, calling up Dani Alves with 39 years, um, Alexandra and Alex Tejas in the other wing Doesn't look like quite good. Uh, Kyle Hendrick was one of the names they've been uh, talking about to to be in the World Cup. I think he picked up an injury, so he he, he lost the the World Cup. Uh Either Militao and Thiago Silva seems like a very good defense. Marquinhos, obviously, uh, center backs they are very, are very good. Ederson, Allison, you know, you if you go line per line, it's absolutely amazing team. Beside, aside the the fullbacks, uh, yeah. but uh, TK lately has been playing with the, I uh, the inverted. Uh, in the midfield, so I think we we are going to see that kind of uh, tactical uh, movements for for the fullbacks and leaving the wing for men like Vinicius. You, you know, you you has you just has to leave the the wing for this kind of players. I'm going for Brazil, like one of my favorites. Uh, they, you know they are Brazil. They play good football. They have Neymar. They have big names. And recently they have been turning into an attacking team. I mean, if it's, if Brazil turns into an attacking team, you just have to be scared. Mm-hmm. Lee, in
0: 2018, Brazil and Serbia was also a fixture in the group phase, and it became famous for Neymar versus referee Bjorn Kuipers because I think Neymar was kicked. <laughs> I mean a dozen times during the game and it got to a point where it was so theatrical at one point that Bjorn Kuyper was laughing at him Um, and then it led to widespread videos of kids doing the Neymar as they flopped to the floor do you see Serbia faring better in this game and how can they punish Brazil because again the Republic of Ireland have played them twice in the World Cup qualifiers so I know Serbia very well Uh, Dragan Stojkovic, of course is the manager but they have some I mean their backline alone they have 21 year old, um, Str- I'm going to butcher this, Str- <laughs> Pavlovic, I'll call him, um, who's an excellent player. But then they have Nikola Milenkovic, of course, from Fiorentina, Milos uh, 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 Veljkovic, as well as Milenkovic Savage, Dusan Vlajevic, Dusan Tadic. How can they punish Brazil?
2: I think, first things first, Neymar is going to get kicked. There's no two, especially as Brian said, he now plays more centrally. They mm-hmm. um, don't play him wide anymore. He will play in the half spaces between the lines more as a ten and eight and a half. Sometimes he gets pushed forward from that position, and he's always a danger. I remember that that match, and as you say, a loaded of kids doing the Neymar. I coach a kids football team, my son's football team, and they were all at it. At one point during a drill, I would shout Neymar, and they'd all throw themselves, the end, <laughs> which which is, I mean, we have to be. Yeah, and Neymar's had his bad press he's had him, mm-hmm. um, obviously he hasn't always lived the lifestyle of a professional footballer let's say, but in terms of his effectiveness, especially this season, can't take it away from him yeah. he has been absolutely sensational his
0: output is phenomenal this season Yeah, absolutely.
2: I, think he, I think he's almost he's 50-50 for goals yeah. the yeah. double, double
0: figures goals as well for, Yeah, for yeah it's, unbelievable.
2: it's unreal, and I think he will obviously be very dangerous, but Serbia, I mean I'm similar to you Adam, I've seen Serbia a lot because they've played mm. Scotland a lot over the last yeah. couple of years. And of course, the the thing this World Cup's missing more than anything else is Scotland. That, that's we just better get that out there now in the first <laughs> <podcast now>. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think that Serbia. I've already said this with Ecuador, but Serbia are another one of my dark horses. I think they're going to have a strong tournament. I think they've got a great core of players, and they've got players now who are at their peak. Mm-hmm. which is making them extremely dangerous. I mean, Brian again talked about the Brazilian defence and how they invert their full-backs. Danilo has actually been very, very good for Juventus over the last couple of months now that Juventus have turned their form around, and he's more than capable of playing that right-back role. Yeah. So I think people think about Brazil, and we all think about Carlos Alberto, where we talk, talk, think about Cafu. A Cafu, he's yeah, Roberto Carlos. up yeah. and up and up and up, yeah. and now it's a different game, obviously, a more modern game, so they'll come inside. But Serbia can cause them real problems. Alexander Mitrovic, we talked about Kiefer Moore. What defender wants to play against Mitrovic this season? He's another one who's physical, he's strong. In the air, he's just incredible. And we were partnering him with a striker in Dusan Vlahovic, who, before he signed for Juventus, people were genuinely talking about him in the same level as Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland. I don't think he was ever there. I think he's a tier at least below that. And he still is, and he struggled at Juventus because Juventus have struggled to create chances. But in a World Cup, this is the kind of player, Dusan Vlahovic the kind of player, who will go to the World Cup and score five or six goals and just come away rejuvenated. Especially because in the midfield, they have Serginio Milinkovic Savic, who's having the best season of his career to date. I think he's really making a case for why a lot of clubs are going to be making a line to Lazio's door, and they've already talked about a hundred million euros. Which football transfer prices are insane as it is, so let's see what happens there. But the quality for Serbia doesn't end there. You talked about Strahinja Pavlovic of Red Bull Salzburg, the left-sided centre-back. He is the kind of player who Serbia will use in their build-up more than anything else, and he's been I mean,
0: labelled as the next Vidic, which is, I mean, any Serbian defender will be by nature. <laughs>
2: He doesn't have quite the same physicality as
0: Vidic. Vidic,
2: for, for those that remember him, was an absolute beast. in game. <laughs> but he could also play, and Pavlovic could play. His left-footed passing out from the back as a natural left-footer on the left side of a back three, those progressive passes are really good. And then you have Dusan Tadic dropping in from the 10-roll. He plays as a 10 centrally for Serbia, as opposed to wide, as he does often for Ajax. Mm-hmm. And he plays centrally because Filip Kostic plays as a left-sided wing-back. Filip Kostic is one of the best deliveries from wide areas in, in European football. And if they can get him space and time on the ball with Pavlovic and Tadic combining to release him, his balls into the area for a strike force of Mitrovic and Vlahovic suddenly become extremely difficult to defend against. I think we'll see, we all know what we'll see with Serbia. They're a bit crazy. They're, they're very physical. They'll get in your face. And if you try to make it about a physical battle, you won't get the better, better of Serbia. Mm-hmm. Because they just have that mindset. I mean, every player in that squad has grown up at either Crivena Veda, or Partizan Belgrade and they played derbies. And the derbies out there are like nothing else on earth, apart from maybe Buenos Aires, in terms of the the ferocity. They'll be up for a scrap any day of the week. But they're also very, very good technically. Their weak point is on the right side. They play Zivkovic as their right-sided wing-back. He's a winger. He's never a defensive player in a million years. And that's where Brazil will get them. I think if they play Vicinius, especially if he stays, if he plays, and I'm not sure he will, if Paqueta will play, I think that if they play with Vicinius on that left wing and get him the ball isolated against Zivkovic, they'll get joy all day. I think that's where the game will be won and lost. But certainly I can see Serbia getting out of the group along with Brazil.
0: Brilliant. Well, Lee... Lucas, Bryant, thank you so much for joining me at this podcast. And thank you, listeners, for listening. And I certainly hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please, as I said in the introduction, make sure to gamble responsibly, having listened to our betting expert, Lucas. And check in with us again tomorrow as we preview the games between Qatar and Ecuador, as well as England's game with Iran. Goodbye for now.